Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, the girlfriend, Cindy. Welcome to another episode of Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death, your favorite movie podcast where we break down thematically horror movies. For the month of April, we're doing ghost stories and also one word titles. <laughs> it's, almost like, it's almost like we planned that. Might as well embrace it. Uh, I am Cindy. I'm Josh. Yay. And he loves these movies and loves to scare me. This week, what are we watching? We got a fucking absolute classic of the genre okay. of ghosts. Ghosts. Uh, the Innocents. From uh, what ni- year? 1961. 19, okay. That's before both of our times. What we got going on? Uh, well, you want to talk about the year of 1961? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, it's a wild one. So that was the year that the U.S. ended relations with Cuba. Okay. Didn't open back up till 2015. And now they're shut down again. Okay, continue. (laughs) Eisenhower gave his farewell address. Remember the one that's like, the military industrial complex is terrible. Don't let it take over the country. And then it did. And then it promptly did. Uh, Kennedy took office that year. Mm -hmm. The Ken doll was introduced. Fun. Right around the same time as as Kennedy's inauguration, which makes me think... I don't think they have anything in common, but they, can't, they were like, oh, we need to make. No, as long like, as as soon as Barbie popped off, they needed a boyfriend for him. Based on Kennedy. Uh, Yuri Gagarin became the first person to, in space. Okay. The Bay of Pigs invasion was a massive epic failure. Yep. That didn't work, did it? Uh, the Freedom Riders were a thing in 1961. That also was a massive failure. Uh, and Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, which. Was the most in a single season until, until a few years ago. Yeah. So. That just recently has been uh, broken. So welcome to 1961. Welcome, everyone. Uh, people that were born that year were okay. Wayne Gretzky, Henry Rollins, Yay. Eddie Murphy, George Clooney, and Michael J. Fox. All right. Those are some good names. Uh, and people that died that year, I just wrote one down because That's all that matters. they're a weirdly a very important person. In, All right. in my life. Okay. Patrice Lumumba. Okay. And do you know who that is? Nope. So Patrice Lumumba is the person who fundamentally broke my brain about the CIA and how America functions in real life. Okay. So I had a teacher who taught me this lesson, I believe, in high school. And I now I feel like he would have gotten in trouble for teaching this lesson. Probably. But... Patrice Lumumba was a socialist who was elected to be the president of the Congo, and the CIA killed him. Yeah, that <laughs> and sounds right. Replaced him with a dictator, and he he ended up getting buried in the Kremlin, I believe. Cool. So, I'm not saying like yay America. Russia because fuck, yeah. fuck Russia, but also America, not so great uh, at fucking with other countries. Like maybe stop that. In, yeah. We can't apologize. even handle our own. Yeah. So that's 1961 in Damn. a nutshell. It's a lot. It's a lot. Whose phone is that? It must be mine. I'll stop. Um, so let's talk about The Innocence. The Innocence. It's not rated. This movie's not rated. Okay. Who's it directed by? Uh, well, it was. it's released December 15th, 1961. It is one hour and 40 minutes long. Okay. It is 
black and white. Ooh. <laughs> that means the old lady who lives in our basement will like it. And I will also, because I enjoy black and white movies as well. Okay. Uh, it's directed by Jack Clayton, who we have talked about before. We've actually mentioned this movie briefly and how we would eventually get to it on the podcast. Because he directed the 1974 Great Gatsby movie, but he also directed the Something Wicked This Way Comes movies for Disney in the 80s. Okay. Um, Those were a big deal. And this movie is written by okay. three people, and I'm going to save the best for last. So William Archibald, who wrote I Confess for Hitchcock, wrote on this movie. John Mortimer, who was a playwright and trial attorney for 30 years. Wow. He also wrote Bunny Lake is Missing, which is a crazy noir movie. He wrote on this Bunny movie. Bunny Lake is Missing. Yep, that's the name of the movie. Okay. And this movie was also written predominantly by Truman Capote. Oh, we're in for it. The author of In Cold Blood and Breakfast at Tiffany's mm-hmm. and Lionel Twain in the movie Murder by Death. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie around these parts, you know. <laughs> That's so insane. It is based on Henry James's The Turn of the Screw, which okay. is a super classic yeah. ghost story. Uh, it's got cinematography by Freddie Francis, who shot The Elephant Man, okay. Dune, for uh, David Lynch. He also shot Return to Oz, Glory, Cape Fear, and The Straight Story. Also, Straight Story was David Lynch as well. He directed Paranoiac, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, Trog, and the 1962 Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> Freddie okay. Francis, high five. Freddie Francis is really good at shooting black and white movies. FYI. If anyone's, so we're, we're about to watch something fun. If anyone's ever seen The Elephant Man, which is black and white in the 80s, okay. we clearly could have gone color. It looks fucking incredible. Um, so there you go. Okay. Now, the cast. This is... movie stars Deborah Kerr. How do I know that name? She plays Miss Giddens. Uh, she was in The King and I. Oh, yep. Okay, got it. From Here to Eternity, An Affair to Remember, and mm. Black Narcissist. Talk about I like that. beautiful movie. It is a beautiful movie. I how watched about, a whole documentary on the art of that movie. How about so nuns living in a convent in and it was just like the mountains. <laughs> it was just shot on like a literal parking lot. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, Peter Wingard plays Peter Quint. Okay. He's in Flash Gordon and Night of the Eagle. Megs Jenkins plays Mrs. Gross. She was in Oliver. I'm sorry. It's got an exclamation point. Oliver! Oliver! Uh, a Green for Danger, which is a dope-ass spy movie and a really cool name for a movie. Green, Green. for Danger. Uh, Michael Redgrave plays the uncle. He's in The Lady Vanishes. Okay. Uh, one of the early Hitchcock masterpieces. The Lady Vanishes. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, well, go ahead. He's the father of Vanessa Corrin and Lynn Redgrave and the grandfather of Natasha Jolie and Gemma Richardson. Yep. So there you go. Uh, Martin Stevens plays Miles. He was in. He was a child actor who was in Village of the Damned, the Battle of the Villa Fiorita, uh, and he quit to become an architect and meditation teacher. Really? That's what he, he was like. I'm done acting. I will now teach. I will now do okay. architecture, teach architecture and meditation. Okay. So, yeah, I feel like if he had been born a few years later, he would have been best friends with David Lynch. Uh, Pamela Franklin plays Flora. She was in The Legend of Hell House. Uh, so there you go. That's the cast. It's a small cast. Okay, and it's black and white, 1961. 
ghost based on Turn of the Screw. Yeah. Basically, there's two movies that vie for like the OG masterpiece of the ghost genre. Okay. Because we talked, I believe, earlier, much earlier in the year about how the first horror film ever shot in like the 1899 mm-hmm. was a ghost movie. But it really comes down to what people say, like, what is the first, in quotes, like, ghost movie horror masterpiece? It's either The Innocents or The Haunting is what people cite. Are we watching both of those this We're week? Not. This month? We're not. Okay. Because they cover similar ground. Okay. Um, so, for me, I like The Innocents more. I fall into that camp. I think it's a better movie. Okay. Uh, not to say that The Haunting is not a good movie. It's a good movie. It's just a different movie. So okay. we're going to go down the route of of the innocence. I just wanted down, to kind of touch down base the on road that. of the innocence because I I know that there's people that are like, well, what about the haunting? And I'm like, it's a it's a good movie. That's what we're about to find out. Well, no, the innocence and the haunting will probably come the next time we do a, a ghost movie. All right, this is the part of the podcast where Josh shows me an original poster of the movie, and I try to tell you what the plot's going to be. What are these posters? Okay, so it's one of those. So it's like the crazy color. Get the shock of your life. Oh, there's a lot of writing. <clears throat> Let me read. From left to right. From the studio that pioneered such daring motion pictures as The Snake Pit, The Oxbow Incident, and Gentleman's Agreement. Oh, The Oxbow Incident. Do so they good. even, do they ever return to possess the living? You'll get the shock of your life. 20th century, I assume Fox, Deborah Kerr, The Innocents. Cinemascope. I'm going to say this is um, a lady and her kids or like a, a family moves into an old house and they become possessed. But rather than... Look at the still from this movie. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, and they be, rather than being possessed, it turns out that it's actually someone who's just trying to get them to move out, you know, and torturing them to make them believe that there's a ghost. Okay. We'll see. Okay. My prediction yes. is we're going to watch this. We're going to watch this with your mom. Okay. And you both are going to fucking love it. I wonder if she's already seen it. Because it's I'll have to find beautiful. out. beautiful. Okay. Um, now, word of warning. Words to the wise. This movie what? is not streaming anywhere for rent. Okay. Like Criterion did a Blu-ray and... Like, you can't rent it on Amazon. You can't, like... So here's what I'm about to tell you. Okay. It's on YouTube. Oh. <laughs> like, okay. the entire HD movie in one go is on YouTube to watch for free. And I normally wouldn't say that, except you have no other option. Unless you want to actually buy this movie. Which, go with God, it's worth a buy. Um, I own the Blu-ray. It's somewhere. I cannot find it. <laughs> we're going to be watching it. So we're going to be watching it on YouTube as well. Okay. Until I track down my copy. But just a heads up for that. Okay. That's and, fair. Yeah. All right. So we're off to watch The Innocents. But not Innocents, like innocent lo- Innocence Lost. More like the plural of an innocent person. Like two innocent plus innocent children people. Who are yes. also on the cover. Join us, won't you? Mind the doors. There has 
never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess the living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you The Innocents. Based on the Henry James chiller of macabre evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. The living. You can see. You must. The Innocence, produced and directed by Jack Clayton, the man who directed Room at the Top, turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr, with Michael Redgrave as the uncle, co-starring Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins. I saw him staring. Who, miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he... Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome and obscene. Do they ever return to possess a living? And when did you first see and hear of such things. Why, I made them up. Shall I tell you who taught them to you? I won't ever again, I promise. Shall I tell you who taught you the things you've done, the things you've said? Shall I tell you his name? <laughs> Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars, from the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience. Welcome back. We have watched The Turning of the... I mean, uh, The Innocence. This was The Turning of the Screw, 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't try to hide the fact that it's clearly based off of the Henry James It's not novel. based off of it. It is. A novella. The only difference is like the last five minutes, I would say. But is there a, a crazy dream sequence in the... Kind of. I'm, tr- I'm trying to... Like, everything seemed really familiar. I know that at the end of, spoiler alert, at the end of Turning of the Screw, which I keep calling Taming of the Shrew, just because honestly, they're like synonyms. Um, homonyms, I mean, whatever. That's a homonym for synonym. Um, is I think at the very end, or I know at the very end of the Turning of the Screw, of the Turning of the Screw, um, the boy says something about, like he sees the ghost as well. And it kind of all, falls apart that it's just like this big aha thing does that make sense it does um so like you said yes this is based on henry james's the turn of the screw it is 
um, which appeared in Collier's Weekly as a 12-part serialization novella. I do kind of miss the idea of having to wait on your weekly periodical to come in to read like your fate. You know what I mean? The way that we used to be in the 1900s with like TV shows. Yeah. A lot of like, Oh, I got to wait till next week to find out what happens. A lot of like science fiction horror authors. Oh, yeah. That's how their stuff was found. Like all of Lovecraft stuff was all of Ray Bradbury in sections. Yep. That's how all, not all, but that is, is how many of the great classics kind of were developed. That's how they developed their fan base. I mean, even at Growlin' Poe, that was, you know, a periodical was kind of his, his jam. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you know how popular this story is? I don't. I would assume, I mean, it's, you know, I was an English major, so I assume all English majors have had to read it. So, so I guess that's a lot. <laughs> as not an English major and someone who's never read it because... Well, you know I, it I now because you've seen this movie. Things. Um, this this story this novella has been a broadway play okay a chamber opera two movies one in 1961 which we just watched one in 2020 mm-hmm. um which is called the turning oh, yeah okay. and it was a mike flanagan netflix miniseries called the haunting of Bly manor also in 2020 that one they took that one took more liberties than this version mm-hmm. i mean like the haunting of Bly manor <laughs> if i'm remembering correctly um, that one goes like a step further and her brother, the nurses or the, the nanny, the governess's brother kind of comes and yeah. confirms like w- what all is going on sort of a thing. And the story itself, um, falls in Gothic fiction. Yes. And do you, can you explain to the rest of us what Gothic fiction kind of is just an overview it's uh think honestly like Romeo and Juliet where it's it's like everyone thinks of it as a romance but it's actually fucking dark as hell that that's kind of gothic-y romance so there's um in this movie or this story there's this idea of this bachelor who is providing for this woman and she lives this idyllic, beautiful life and everything seems perfectly fine on the outside, but it's actually a ghost story or, or is it, or is it a fraud story? Um, uh, my, my favorite Louisa May Alcott, uh, book is not little women or little men or Joe's boys or whatever. Mine is a long fatal love chase, which is like that. It's about like, is it a stalker or is the woman obsessed like like who was stalking who kind of a thing and it's very like on the surface but then no just scratch the surface a little bit it's there's something deeper and and a little more dark underneath that uh when we did crimson not crimson tide that's a different movie when we did crimson peak Peak, yes we'll talk more about crimson peak in a minute um that would be a a, that's another good example is gothic frankenstein Yes, the gothic fiction, on the right? yeah on the surface it's a monster story, but underneath it all it has this meaning of you know man and creationism and loving what you you know what you created or hating what you made things like that nice. and acceptance and nice yeah so... there's always a little element of death always a little element of spooks. Spooky ghost death. Spooks. Uh, I will say before we get into talking about, you know, the normal thing of what's this movie's about and, mm-hmm. and go down that road, I just want to point out that 
we talked in the opening about how there were different writers that worked on the project. Yes, we did. Uh, apparently, William Archibald who wrote the original screenplay, mm-hmm. and he had like a narrator in it and it had a very it was based in facts and everything was true there were ghosts it, okay. it definitively was like there are ghosts this, this is, is a is ghost happening. story okay and jack clayton the director was like mm. uh so he hired truman capote to come in and was like uh won't you chalk this motherfucker up with some ambiguity ambiguity yeah and that's what so he does best he brought did best yeah he brought him in and he put in the like, are they ghosts or is the governess is this crazy? Big, yeah. Are the children crazy? Or what is, is this happening? fraud? Yeah. They're trying to, you know, defraud the mysterious uncle out of something. Or is the uncle trying to get her? Or, yeah. Is is someone mentally ill? Like, seeing things that aren't there? Like, right. because all of and the if ghosts. So, all the ghosts you see in this movie, spoiler alert for when we talk about it in a minute, you see them from Deborah Kerr's point of view. Mm-hmm. So you don't know if... And no one else acknowledges them. No one else acknowledges them. Correct. Like you think the kids can see them. You think the maid can see them. But, but no one ever says, I also see that ghost. Yeah. It's only her. It's always, I believe you. I, you know, not, like, oh, I see it too. Clearly I, you wouldn't lie about that. So right. yeah, I believe that you saw a ghost, but I did not see a ghost. Right. So that being said, would you kindly walk us through the plot of this movie? Um, an offer to take over as head of the household and head governess for a pair of orphaned children, um, goes, so is given to a young woman. Deborah Kerr. And she soon finds out that she is replacing someone who had either, who had not been a very good governess. And had either run away with someone or killed herself or killed him and killed, you know, we're not really sure. There's a dark past behind this posting. And yeah. And she sees, she starts seeing the ghosts of the the former groundskeeper. I believe it's the groundskeeper. Yeah, the groundskeeper. And the former governess. And they had like a fling. Or did they? And they did. And it was all very. hmm. Yeah. And she. Deborah Kerr's character starts to believe that the children are becoming possessed by these ghosts. The children are very strange. They're operating through her, or through the children, to continue on with their lives and what they want to do. Which is interesting. Is that like a trope of the time of being like, this little boy and girl who are brother and sister... There's like a weird pseudo love thing because they're possessed potentially by the ghost of dead lovers who want to. No, I can't say that 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 is a stereotype. No, that's not a stereotype. It is not. Literature. Um, It is in what I call the VC Andrews universe, but uh, no, not typically. It. Well, I mean, it's been a minute since I read Taming of the Turning. There I go again. Turning the the turn of the screw, turning of the screw, whatever. I wonder if I would read that into it now. Huh. Might have to go back and think on that. Well, okay. IMDb has, in Victorian England, the uncle of orphaned niece Flora and nephew Miles. Fauna. Sorry. Um, hires Miss Giddens, which is Deborah Kerr, mm-hmm. as governess to raise the children at his estate with total independence and authority. And a scene that I love where he's like, I don't want to deal with these children. Yep. <laughs> Just come raise them. I don't want to be bothered. 
I um, like my life in London. Yeah. Soon after her arrival, Miss Giddens uh, comes to believe that the spirits of the former governess, Miss Jessel, and valet Peter Quint oh, there you go. are no. possessing Valet. the children. Miss um, Giddens decides to help the children to face and exercise the spirits by right. making them talk and look at them. I guess, yeah. At that part, I wasn't quite sure. There. I was like, I don't know how this is going to help. Maybe, <laughs> I don't think this is helping. Uh, maybe that... not additionally traumatizing these children. Um, that Yeah, that, that's the movie. Good job, IMDb. There are some scenes... Where you see people in the distance, and I always think that shit is spooky. Like mm-hmm. someone just standing there. Yeah, I don't like that. It's got We've that established vibe. My dislike of that. Um, I will say that this movie was shot in black and white, and almost as a deliberate counterpoint to where British horror was at the time with the Hammer films, which were very colorful and it's gaudy. very muted. And, and it was it was very like this shit's in black and white. But it wasn't even like a clear black and white. It was very it, well. Yeah, it was. It looked a lot older than it, well, I mean, than it was. But it's Victorian England, so you kind of expect that. Also, yeah, I, there's part of me where I'm so glad, and I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm really glad this movie was shot in black and white by Freddie Francis because I think it's beautiful and I think it's haunting and I think it totally works in black and white. But part of me wants to see what this movie would look like in color. Okay. Like, especially those outdoor scenes. Yeah. Like um, the garden and the pond. Like, I'm curious what that would have looked like. I wonder if there are stills. I haven't been able to find a lot of stills that were in color. Because I'm kind of curious what time of the year they shot it in. Yeah. Like that if, would play a big part of it. If they would have gone, like, Technicolor and shot mm-hmm. this shit at, like, fall, it would have been a different movie. Yes. I don't think it would, it would have been as scary. It wouldn't be it would as have effective. Been gorgeous. <laughs> right but yeah, okay. Freddie Francis in black and white like from this all the way to the elephant man is just something to behold um this movie is was given an x like an that's how X-rating. far we've come like people when this movie was released England was like don't let children see this movie it will fuck them up there and it is not the kind of movie that would fuck anyone no. up nowadays I guess because the idea of like the children being possessed or not in this odd kind of a lust or not. How yeah. far we've come. How far we've fallen. I mean, right. I, yes. Agreed. I agree. Um, there is a lot of film analysis and film theory revolving around this movie and the story itself. And there's a couple of things I wanted to, I read about that I wanted to throw at you and tell me, have you tell me what you think. What's that? So there's a lot of people that think that one of the major themes of this movie is not ghosts, but sexual repression. Okay. Like, it's a big theme in a lot of Victorian England yeah, stuff, so we, that would fit in. We talked before about how all monsters are metaphors, mm-hmm. but especially ghosts. Like, ghosts really fill the role of, like, same with zombies in George Romero movies, where it's like, do you want to talk about capitalism and consumerism? Let's do it through zombies. Right. Right? Do you want to talk about generational trauma let's see let's season do two ghosts. Yeah. so i i think in this movie they're saying that you know sexual repression of miss giddens is what creates the supernatural phenomenon is because she's seeing things she's wanting there to be more to her life than there is maybe so she's projecting outwardly maybe like so she grabs onto like what the kids are saying and then manifests it real is 
kind of one theory I was okay. reading about. Okay. Uh, and they even go so far as to say that the film ends with a reversal of the Sleeping Beauty roles with her kissing the little boy. Yeah, that was weird. I didn't like that. There's two scenes where Miles kisses her and it's unfucking comfortable. I think that was probably the X rating now that uh, we're talking like, about it. She kisses him at the end and then when he. Way too long. I think he wakes her up or when he first meets her, he's like, and gives her that weird fucking mm-hmm. too long kiss. Too long. Too long. Like. Agreed. Agreed. Little agreed. kids kissing adults on the mouth. I'm. I'm not immediately comfortable with anyway, but when it lingers for a minute, I'm like, or three. I don't like this. Yeah. Not a fan. I would agree with that. Um, That's fair. Yeah. So, and, and to emphasize this, and we were just talking about Freddie Francis and his beautiful cinematography. <laughs> yeah. This movie was shot and designed and lit to highlight the ghost and he's saying quotes horror because we're not sure if it's a ghost or yeah, yeah. Um, mental illness or fraud he or... wanted to highlight the deeper sadness of the house okay and the children's isolation they are kind of locked away from everyone those kids they? have themselves and the housekeeper and the house and the nanny but that's it yeah and then also they to show off the sexual repressiveness of the governess okay okay like, and i th- and I see where that's going, and I think it's interesting that you have Deborah Kerr's character, who's very like prim and proper, and like you know, I never really wanted a family of my own, huh? And then she's got these two kids, that and then she immediately, you know, is not parenting correctly, but treating them as though they're hers. Yes. Yeah. And then you come, you look at the previous governess who was just getting railed out <laughs> by the valet. Yeah, just like. <laughs> The cook or whatever is like, she was fucking a lot. <laughs> and Deborah Kerr is just like, oh, oh, my. Oh, oh, my stars and garters. Like, oh, oh. Yeah. Pearl clutch. Pearl clutch. Yeah. So there's definitely like a tale of two cities with the, the previous governess who's now a ghost. And this one. And the one who's just... now, who's traumatizing these children by making them. Kiss her too much. I mean. Yeah. Uh... Kiss her <laughs> and then. Fucking scream at ghosts in a garden in the middle of the night. Yep. That nobody else sees. Yeah. Well. Um, I I think, here's my theory for this movie. All right. Kind of what it's about in a way. Because I've worked with children a lot for a long time. Okay. Um, and I think that children. Um, should be seen and not heard. Josh. <laughs> should be locked away. Uh, children will attach themselves to adults. Um, seeking attention, any adult, uh, if they can get any attention off of them. Correct. Right? So the idea that these kids are playing the roles of the dead valet and And the the dead dead governess, governess. and then they both try to claim ownership of Deborah Kerr. Yeah. Right? Like, Flora's running around, and she meets her at the front door, and she's like, oh, we were so excited for you to be here. And she's she like wants to be around her. She sleeps in the same room as her. Yep. And then Miles shows up, and he's like, I brought you flowers. I'm going to awkwardly fucking kiss you. Right. Like, there's this Awkward. weird tug of war with the kids who are playing the roles of the people that they've been around before. Yeah. Whether that's how, how it is. Yeah. yeah. And so it goes to... Is it ghosts? Are they being possessed? Are they are the ghosts of cool fucking name Peter Wingard, who was a 
later a X-Men character. Cool. Um, are they playing the roles because they are possessed? Or because, or because that's because what's been modeled for them. That's what's been modeled, and then that's what they think adults do, so that's what they're acting out. Okay. Um, and I think it could go either way, and I think that's part of the ambiguity, but that's not something that I saw a lot in people talking about this movie. Yeah, then, well, I don't know. You know, um, <sighs> there's definitely an, a, you can a competition for ownership and attention. Yeah, I see her. what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's an argument to be made there, I would agree, but I don't know how. Uh, yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's just the story. Uh, I'm trying to get in my head what was from the original story and what are from, you know, there's been awkward, like, sequels that have kind of been made. And, oh, anywho. Let me it, ask you this real fast. Yeah. That's not real fast. I heard a beep. <laughs> is this movie a ghost story or is this movie um, a movie about mental illness? Uh, it could be both. Which one do you think it is? I don't really believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts either in real life, but I do in movies. <laughs> okay. Right? Like, I watch Poltergeist and I'm like, they didn't make that shit up. That house is fucking haunted. Okay. So, is Bly Manor haunted in this movie? No. I tend to lean more on the idea of some sort of, but this is my baggage of, like, there's some big scheme and the uncle is you know playing up the valet and trying to i don't know like it goes back to the eternal question um the pan's labyrinth thing that we talked about okay (laughs) where one of us believes she is a princess in the underworld and one of us is like this is not real and i think i believe that there are ghosts in this movie okay i believe in the ghosts in this movie again like you in real life don't believe in ghosts but in the in sense the, of in this the movie, imaginary world that we're I living in, do okay. Um, and I think this is a ghost story, and I think it's an effective one. And like we said, it was one of the two like foundational ghost stories that kind of all ghost stories after this are built on. It's this and the haunting, and I think this movie fucking rules. Yeah, I think this movie is it's worth a watch. Shit. It's it's um, creepy. It has a good creepy feel to it. This, for sure. This was one of um Martin Scorsese was asked to make a list of the eleven scariest movies of all time. All right, and this is this on sorry, it? the ten, but he ended up with eleven. Because this is one of not? his eleven scariest movies of all time. Uh you mentioned Crimson Peak by Del Toro. Mm-hmm. This is a direct like Crimson Peak exists because of this story and this movie. Okay. Like, he wanted to make something like this. Um, This is why he got into acting or into directing. A lot of filmmakers quote this movie, like older filmmakers especially, quote this movie as being, like, extremely important to them. Like, I've heard Joe Dante talk about how how much he loved this movie, and it's, like, one of his all-time favorite movies. Not just scary movies, like, one of his all-time favorite movies, period. Like, this movie has... It's this weird thing where the haunting's probably a little more known culturally, but All this right. movie's more of the the filmmaker's film. Yeah. Um, they This movie is, I don't know, it's fucking rad and I really enjoy it. It's a beautiful movie, like you said, and as like from a filmmaker perspective, there's like these nice shots that you really kind of liked. 
And it's a timeless story, and obviously. The sense of dread. I don't think it's the best 60s movie that does that thing of like creeping dread and what is happening. Carnival, but it, Carnival of Souls. But it does put... <laughs> It does put its mark on the, in that list. Does that make sense? Like, it's not the best, but it's on that list. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fucking really good. I think this is definitely, like, top five probably best horror films of the 1960s. Okay. Um, That's ra- that are rated X. Well, you got to keep in mind, this movie... I, yeah. I give this the psycho test. All right. Because this movie came out toilets. a year, I think a year after Psycho... And it feels so much older than Psycho. It does. Like, Psycho feels like the first modern horror film. And everything that came out around it, other than Peeping Tom, Peeping Tom is very similar to Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie feels 20 years older than it Psycho. Does. And it came out after yeah. Psycho. So I think that's the dividing line. And when I look at 60s filmmaking, 60s horror filmmaking, I'm always like, Psycho. Psycho. Is kind of where it begins. Yeah. Um, Especially since it came out in like 1960. But, Fair. okay. I, we're not even going to try to yeah, talk about this in terms of like Arkoff yeah, or exploitation because this movie is like an art house film by Correct. today's standards. Piece of li- it's a piece of literature that's been turned into a exactly. piece of art. Yeah. Uh, we did watch this with your mother. She loved it. She did. It was her speed. Yeah. Definitely not the speed for my teenager and preteen. However, if they ever have to read. The turning of the screw or the turn of the screw. This would be like, hey, if you like, if you you have to read that, watch this movie, you know, with it kind of a thing. No, in addition to. Stop reading. Yeah. We all know Josh doesn't read. No more. As I just finished another Stephen King book. Allegedly. (laughs) Rumor. Word on the street is I just finished another (laughs) Stephen King book. All right. What are we going to be watching next week? Um, how, are we going to continue with one word titles? We are. The, the something. Okay. Um, so we did, you know, House and The Fall. The Fall. And The Innocence. The Innocence. How would you like to do something that's a one fucking 80 okay. from The Innocence? So it's going to be like Technicolor Musical? How about Batshit Crazy? That works too. Um, we're going to jump all the way to the 90s. And watch... The Frighteners. The Frighteners. I don't think I remember that. It's going to be a good ass time. All right. (laughs) Well then, until then. I'm Josh. And I'm Cindy. And I'm still his girlfriend. And remember, we love you. And we support Ukraine. And the LGBTQ community. Obviously.